We're going to continue worship with reading from John 4-7 uh, that Chris gave you a teaser of this morning. Uh, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in, a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Who did that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm Pastor Scott, one of the pastors here at the church, and have the joy and privilege of bringing the message this morning. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you to all you guys for your prayer. Uh, prayers recently, I had a little stay in the hospital, and um, I'm just uh, very joyful this morning to announce that I gave birth to um, a kidney stone, 4.1 centimeters. Uh, named him uh, J-Bass, which uh, means pain. Quite an experience. Don't ever want to go through that again. But, uh, but I sure do appreciate all your love. I felt it, and you're, you're, you're just reaching out to me. Thank you so much. Well, we're in a series on the Holy Spirit, and last week, Chris talked about a Greek word and a Hebrew word that described the Spirit of God. You may remember this. The guys really lit up. A first word was ruach, which is the Hebrew word for breath, but the second word was the Greek word pneuma. And when Chris said, we get English words from this and ask for examples, the guys just lit up, pneumatic, immediately, and they began to talk about tools, and they had a whole exciting experience. First time I've seen the guys this exciting in quite a while. Man, they came alive. They're starting naming the tools that work. But the, the, the point was fun to watch. But the whole point of this is without the power, uh, those tools are useless. And so it is with us. We need the Spirit of God. So we're spending some time just talking about what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God give power and animation to our life and how we desire that and, and want that. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking at another term, another expression in the Bible that is used to describe the Spirit of God, and that's rivers of living water. So oftentimes, the word river is used, or water, or springs, to describe the Spirit of God in the Bible. It's a powerful illustration, because we, immediately when you think about a river, what comes to our mind are clear, refreshing, bubbling rivers, you know, just life-giving rivers. And I personally, I love rivers, first of all, because many of them have trout in them. Did I get an amen for that? You know, uh, or just they're so refreshing. I love them. I like to, to photograph them. I like to fish in them also. But they're very powerfully symbolic of the spirit 
of God, if you begin to think about it. In fact, we named our church River Stone on purpose, very intentionally, both to, to use the symbolism of rivers of God, talking about the Spirit of God, and then Stone, talking about the Word, the rock, the Word of God. We want to be a church that is grounded in both the Word and the Spirit. We want to study and get deep into the Word of God, but we also want to allow the Holy Spirit to be operational in our lives and in our church. And so we've been in this series now about five weeks. And so at this point, you begin to, to, to ask some questions, hopefully. And the personal question that I hope that we're beginning to ask is this. Am I being filled with the Holy Spirit as God intended? And just personally do inventory and ask the Lord and examine your life. And begin, as we look at the biblical examples, which when the Lord is so clear, this was not just a one-time deal that the Holy Spirit is operational and necessary in our lives today. And so to begin to ask those questions, and as Chris has pointed out, we have so many examples of the Holy Spirit that we just think are so crazy and so weird, you know, like the weird uncle showing up at, uh, at, a, at a holiday party. Just think, I don't want to be like that. And so it begins to raise up a lot of questions. But we need to ask ourselves, am I being filled with the Spirit as God desires? And if I want to be filled with the Spirit, where do I start? What do I do? Do I have to act weird? Do I have to have a distant gaze on my face, you know, just kind of spaced outlook? Do I have to take a class or sign some card or stand in line or fall down? What do I have to do to really begin to move into the filling of the Holy Spirit of God? And thank goodness the answer to all those questions is no. The fact is that God desires to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He desires to fill us with his life. In fact, there's a scripture where Jesus is talking about this, and he says, so if you, despite being evil, particularly in comparison with God and his goodness, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, now watch this, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, help me with this, ask for it? There has to be an asking. So this morning, what I want to do is just take a few moments to look particularly at the words of Jesus when it talks about being filled with the Spirit and what's necessary, what's needed, the elements that need to be uh, in our lives, active in our life, for us to really experience the fullness and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to begin in John chapter 7 because in this chapter... Uh, there's a, the record of an amazing, crazy, wild event. There's a feast that's taking place, a massive religious feast where Jesus shows up and he speaks to that crowd what's necessary to be filled with the Spirit of God. The feast happens to be the Feast of Tabernacles. is one of several very important religious feasts for the Jewish people. And this is the feast. It's seven days long. It's in the fall. And it commemorates the journey of the people of Israel through the wilderness when they would have to set camp each night, set up little lean-tos or whatever. So what they would do is they would spend seven days, usually in Jerusalem, they would all come into town and they'd bring their, their tents or build their lean-tos and they would camp out for a week. And so there was some festivity involved with that because uh, camping is fun isn't it? And well, except for the bugs and the mosquitoes. Okay, I saw that. But uh, camping can be fun. And, and so they would really enjoy this time together, but it was a time to remind them of how hard it was, but how faithful the Lord was. And so the place is packed. This packed Jerusalem is just absolutely packed. And as it is crazily packed at the high point, the seventh day of the feast, the final day of the feast, Jesus stands up on a picnic table or a rock or something before the people and he cries out loud. 
This is kind of a, an, a, an interruption to the festivities that are taking place. He cries out loud. These words we find in John 7, 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart or innermost being, as some versions say, will flow rivers of living water. You think, what is he talking about? So John tells us. Now, this he said about the Spirit, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, Jesus chose these words carefully. When you read the entire narrative of John, he had not really gone big, gone public until this occasion. And he uses this occasion to stand up and to speak. And what he speaks as he chooses these words, it's an invitation. And it's an invitation that echoes throughout time. And so we're going to look at his invitation, kind of take it apart, unpack it, and let it inform our souls. And the first thing that you notice, he stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, if you thirst, if you thirst, the fact is, we all thirst, and not just for water or something to drink, but something to fill our soul, something to give our life meaning, to give our life value. We have, all have this, this sense of emptiness, you know, this ache inside of us, a feeling like, you know what, everybody else has got it together, but not me so much. There's something missing. You know that feeling? You know, if we're really honest about it, you know, I see all those invisible heads saying, yes, I know, I know. But we do. We know what that's like to say that just something that is missing, some incompleteness deep inside. My, my heart, my life, I crave something more to fill that longing that I have. And so we all know that there is something that is missing. So what happens in life is we enter into this rat race where we try different things to fill that hole up, that longing. We think, if, if I just had this degree then I, my life would be complete. Or if I just had a new job, then I would be content. Or if I had love or a house or a new car or something like that, then, then I would be satisfied. It would satisfy my, my soul. And I think that it is very important for us to acknowledge this truth about ourselves that there is a longing, an ache. There is a feeling that there is something missing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're pursuing sinful things, although those other things can become idols, as Chris pointed out a couple of weeks ago. But there is a deep longing that just seems to haunt us, to just be there. And as I mentioned, we look around, we see other people, and they've they got their act together. They, they seem to be making it and satisfied and full. Why do I have this ache? And the fact is, we all do. We all do. We're created with uh, something inside of us that is only filled with God. We could turn to secret vices or forbidden pleasures that may seem to satisfy for a minute, but they, there's no lasting satisfaction that leaves us hollow again. God even asked this question in Isaiah 55. He says, come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then here's the question. Well, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you doing that? God is waking up our spirit. He's, he's just provoking us a little bit to, to, to ask the question, is what you're doing in life really satisfying that deep longing? Or is it still there? To be filled with the Spirit, we have to come to a point 
where we realize we are not, that we're not filled, and that there's something missing. And then that our thirst for the Spirit has sometimes gone to other fountains that do not satisfy. What we're really longing for is God. What we're really longing for is Him because we were made for Him, created to run on Him, as, as Chris talked about, high-octane fuel. You know, we were made. If you try to run on something inferior, our, our souls do not do well. Thirsting is a prerequisite to being filled. St. Augustine wrote this. He says, we must empty ourselves of all that fills us so that we may be filled with what we are empty of. Yeah, sit with that one. That's a good one. Uh, in order to make room for God to fill our vessel, our being, there has to be the moving out, the clearing out of things that are unnecessary, unnecessary clutter. You, you know that kitchen drawer that you all have, or maybe it's an office drawer that just gets filled with everything? You know, we all have it. I don't know where it may be in your house, but we have it. It's, it's like um, a black hole for everything. And if you look in it, in fact, I looked in mine. I just took inventory yesterday. I thought, well, what's in mine? Because I have one. And I looked in there, and there were car keys and pens and pencils and paper clips and scotch tape and gum, business cards, glue, shopping lists, a small screwdriver, some scissors, matches, flash drives, of course, batteries, many of those which were expired, and then adapters because Apple keeps changing all the adapters for everything. And that drawer is just absolutely packed. like a junk magnet. And, and it cannot, in fact, when I pulled mine out, I, I had a hard time closing it <laughs> because I just can't stuff anything else inside of that drawer. So what St. So what Augustine is doing is he's calling us to realize that we're filling our souls up with so many different things. Our thirst have gone wild. Our hunger has gone off the charts and our souls are full, but they're full of clutter things that do not satisfy our heart in the long run, realizing only God satisfies our soul and we must thirst for him. And so I ask the question, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty, my friend? <laughs> are you thirsty? Tired of digging wells for yourself only to come up empty and dry? Well, then what? So Jesus continues. If any man is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come. He invites us. He doesn't say, come to the temple he doesn't say, come to church. He doesn't say, come and join a religion or come to another person or come to a program. All the different things that many times we run to trying to satisfy. You know, go to another conference, read another book, listen to another series. We just, we pursue all of these things. Jesus says, he just pierces through it all and says, come to me, come to me. That was his mission. Constantly as you read the Gospels, you see him over and over again inviting people to himself. Come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. Come and see where I'm dwelling. Come and follow me. It's a call to himself. The Christian life is our response to the call of Jesus to himself, to an intimate relationship with him, not a mere acquaintance or getting a little slice of Jesus or a little part of our calendar involved with him. But really what it is, you think about it, it is an invitation to union with God. Sit with that a moment. God is inviting you into union. John 15, four through five says, abide in me, just as Jesus' words, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine 
and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is actually inviting us and calling us into a life that is interwoven with him. So when we take our hands, put our hands together, you know, that old, and you put those fingers together, it's interwoven. That's what Jesus is wanting to do. Enter and be within us. His spirit wants to find home in us. That's what Jesus was praying in John 17, the great priestly prayer. He says, Father, you know, as, as I am in you and you are in me, you know, we'd say, yeah, that's union. He said, let that be so with my, my, my children. Let them be one with us. So if you are thirsty, then come. Coming is an intentional, deliberate turning to God with our heart, with our attention, with our mind, turning from everything else and giving him our full attention. But let's be honest, that's kind of hard to do. I mean, we live in a crazy world. We're bombarded with things all the time. And so in a few moments, I'm going to, as we wrap up in a few moments, I'm going to share just a very simple exercise that helps us in the hectic, crazy, busy, jam-packed world that we live in where our smartphones run our life and we live everything at the, at the speed of a click in a, in a swipe. We're going to talk about how to take a pause and how to thirst for the Lord and respond to him. But the next thing that, that Jesus says is, for thirsty, come to me, he says, and drink. The first scripture, or the scripture we read a few moments ago, uh, John 4, about the woman at the well, and Chris spoke about this recently a couple of weeks ago, talks about this very powerful encounter one day that Jesus had with this very lonely, beat-up woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day because of all the shame, not wanting to be there during a crowd, and, and she's just there. And Jesus designs this encounter to have with her. And they begin to talk. They begin to talk, and Jesus uh, begins to talk to her, but this is a woman who has tried to fill her life with men, and it hasn't gone well. And as they begin to talk, she begins to divert the attention and say, well, let's talk about religion. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about religion, because that's often and distant. We can analyze it and look at it. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're talking about you. And he reveals two very benevolent things to her. The first is her own emptiness. He reveals that to her, how all that she has pursued, all the relationships that she has pursued has not filled her life. They've all failed. And then the second thing that he brings to her attention is that he has an invitation, a promise. And just listen to two of the verses from that passage. He says, if you knew the God, the one who, is speak, who says to you, if you know the one who's speaking to you, give me a drink and you would have, you would have asked and he would have given you a drink. Obviously, I didn't write that down right. <laughs> but then he continues, and he says, but whoever drinks of the water of this well, uh, the, the, of the water. Wait a minute, I did write this one. I just can't read it right. <laughs> Need some help up here. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him, catch this, become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Drink of this water and there is within you an artesian well that springs up rivers of eternal life. Drinking implies receiving. It, it implies believing 
that it's good, asking for it and receiving, believing that he, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and that we are who he says we are, and that we're designed to have life with him. One of the most famous passages in the scripture about the Holy Spirit is in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, your, your Bible may, may say different words instead of dissipation. It may say debauchery. It may say uh, ruin or something like that. But dissipation, I really like that word. Begin to drill into it and realize that in thermodynamics, dissipation is the result of a process where energy transforms from its initial form to a final form where its capacity in the final form is less than it was originally. It dissipates. It becomes less. And so you look at this verse here, don't be drunk of wine because it will dissipate your life. It will drain from you. You will end up being not who God designed you to be. No matter what it is we intoxicate ourselves with or medicate ourselves with, we end up with less than what God designed for us to have. So he contrasts that by saying, but instead of letting your life be drained away, of spending your life on things that don't really satisfy, be filled with the Spirit. One drains your life away. The other fills it up. And it's quite a contrast there. In the Greek, the verb tense for be, uh, being filled, actually, it would be translated be being filled, but that just doesn't read real well in our Bibles. But it's a continual action. It means keep on being filled. It's not a one-time event. I remember hearing a story an old pastor told one time about a man who at the end of the service every week would come up and would pray. And he would say, oh, God, fill me with the Spirit. God, fill me with the Spirit. God, fill me with the Spirit. Then he would go out and he would live his life that week and come back and he would pray the same thing. And a little boy was sitting over on the side and he just kept watching this. And finally, one night, the, the, little, the man was praying, oh, God, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. And the little boy said, don't do it, Lord. He leaks. <laughs> but the fact is, we do. We all do. It's not a, a one-time shot. And so many times in churches, it's been made as this one dramatic, one-time event. And, and there are very powerful experiences we can have. I've had them. They're great. But it's not a one-time event. He says, be being filled. Keep on being filled. Keep on coming to me and asking for this, that it continually to be a part of your desire. And the same thing in, in John chapter 7, verse 37, we looked at a moment ago. It, it says, literally, let him keep on coming to me. Let him keep on coming and let him keep on drinking. It's continual. And the result is Jesus' promise that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Some of your Bibles say in his innermost being or his heart or literally what it says in the Greek is out of his belly. But we just don't talk about bellies that much, do we? But it's the inner core of who we are deep within our soul, our spiritual dimension, the part of us that has a spiritual capacity for God. God says, I want to fill and reside and be inside of you. And as I am, Fresh wellsprings of my presence will be there to flow in you and to flow through you. And when that happens, 
in our life, we realize that something's happening beyond us, that we cannot manifest that kind of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. We experience that and we go, that's, that's new. That's not the way I typically respond to those kind of situations. That is the fruit of God's spirit. We recognize that something new is taking place within us, and it is from God. That he is enabling us to have grace where we would typically not. He is enabling us, his spirit is enabling us to forgive where typically we would not. That we have mercy and strength and confidence and even faith, and we recognize that is his power working within us. So what I'd like to do today in the final moments that we have is to share a practice with you. It's an exercise. It's something you can do every day. It's something you can do several times a day. And what this does is helps create space in our soul and in our life for the Spirit of God to operate inside of us. It's called the one-minute pause. And uh, I, I did not originate it. John Eldridge came up with this idea. He also made a free app that you can download called the one-minute pause and it can help you get started. I discovered the app and, and began to practice it and uh, then, then moved from the app to just doing it. And, you know, so I use it as a, a tutor, I guess you could say, and you may want to do the same thing. But I've been doing this for a while, and I've gone through some hard times in my life where I felt empty and dry and just like, okay, this is not happening. You know, distant from God, not feeling like, like you know, experiencing him or his, his power like I have in other times in my life. And as I began to practice this spiritual exercise each day, uh, I began to see him slowly begin to restore my soul, begin to, to reintroduce things in my life that are, come from his spirit. It's three very simple, simple things. And the great news is you can do it in a hectic day. And literally, you can do it um, in one minute. It's not like the 17-day diet. You ever heard of that? You know, you don't, it's, 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 it's a trick. It's more than 17 days, I'm here to tell you. But um, it's just the first 17 days. And then you do another 17 days. But, but this is, you can do it in one minute, or you can say, this is good. I'm going to spend longer here. Uh, but I want to encourage you. It can become the most important moment or moments in your life. The first thing in the one-minute pause is we're going to call it benevolent detachment. It's letting go. It's, it's a kind letting go. It's benevolent. It's not hostile. It's not, you know, just chunking people or things off to the side. But it's a benevolent detaching or letting go or giving over to God. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to read that again from the message, the version of the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus invites us to a life that he explains as being free and light. And that seems so foreign to us. But it's only found in a partnership with him 
with the Holy Spirit. Listen how Peter echoes the invitation that his master gave. He says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now, I want to just hit a pause for here just a moment and look at this. He says to do what with our anxiety? Cast. What did Peter do for a living before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman, exactly. And he wasn't a spin caster. You know, he wasn't a fly fisherman. He used what? Nets. So what did they do with the nets? They cast. And so I really believe as we think about Peter as he writes this, there's a word picture that's taking place here. You know, the anxieties that you're feeling that are weighing you down, the burdens, the heaviness. He says, here's what we must do with that. We must cast it. I want you to just humor me. Do this. Cast. Act like you're casting a, a thing out. Yeah. It, that is something intentional. That is something active. That is something that we physically are doing. And that's, I think what we're being invited to do is with the burdens and the weights that we're feeling to bring those before God and say, God, it's too much. It's too much. I cast it all before you. I give it to you. I lay it down. My worries, my weights, my burdens, I let them go. Let it go to Jesus. And so what that looks like in the, in the one-minute pause is that we, we pull off for a second from the hectic because we go to a room, we just, whatever, for one minute, take a couple of deep breaths, let things go, and then just tell Jesus, Jesus, I give you everything and everyone. Jesus, I give you everything and everyone. Jesus, I let go of the conflict that's taking place at work right now. Jesus, I give you that meeting that's coming up and all my frustration related to it, I give it to you. Jesus, I give you the dinner tonight that we're going to host, my worries about it, I give it to you. Lord, I'm tired. I can't carry this. I'm not supposed to. I release it to you. We pause and we let things go. We empty ourselves, benevolent detachment, giving it over to Jesus. It's not being callous. It's not being unloving. We just weren't designed to carry all the weight of the world. We weren't. We've got to learn to release the world, people, crisis, trauma, all of it. There has to be a time in your life, there has to be, where you let these things go, where you give them over to the Lord. All the tragedy in the world, all the heartbreak, the latest shooting, we were talking about that this morning uh, before church. You know, all of these things that come in, they weigh us down. We weren't designed by God to carry all of that. It used to be many years ago when, when a tragedy would happen, uh, you wouldn't know about it if it was on the other side of the world. We just kind of knew what was going on around us. Now we carry smartphones, so the latest shooting, the latest earthquake, the latest whatever it may be, instantly, instantly, instantly is on our phone, and we're looking, we're getting it. And let me tell you what, it clutters our soul. It is too much. There has to be a time where we put that aside and we let it go. The soul was not designed to endure all of this. Our soul is finite, and we cannot carry all the sorrows of the world. Only God can do that. Even our disappointments, our regrets, and our failures, turn those over to God. So first part of benevolent, is benevolent detachment. <clears throat> first, let it go. In <clears throat> Psalm 131, verse 2, we have this very beautiful passage of Scripture. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, 
like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul with me. What an incredibly beautiful picture. A weaned child is not one that's struggling for the next meal, squirming and everything else. It's at peace. And you see the picture of a, of a child laying in its mother's arms just quiet. And moms go, that doesn't happen too often. That's right, it doesn't. And that's what makes this so beautiful. And, and what a beautiful picture of our soul finding that place of rest. You know, when, when you hold a child... Um, when they've been going through a struggle, maybe been crying, and they finally calm down, they finally begin to rest, there's this little sigh they give. You know, this, <sighs> you know, there's something very powerful about that sigh. Maybe you find yourself doing it all throughout the day. It's your soul saying, I need rest. And so part of the benevolent detachment, part of this exercise is getting before God and saying, Lord, I can trust you with this. I give it to you. I give it to you. Now, I know, I, I know, I know what happens with me is that I give it to the Lord and instantly I'm picking it back up. Instantly, it's coming back in. But, you know, and, and so I've got all these monkeys in my brain. They're swinging around the trees up there. I have monkey mind and they're trying to keep me really busy. So I've learned I have to kind of do it a few times and to the point that I get to that sigh, you know. <sighs> Lord, I'm really just giving this to you. Even for just this moment, for this moment with you, I give it to you like it's already solved. I give it to you like you've returned and it doesn't even matter anymore. And I rest in you for just a moment. Isn't that sweet? I mean, you know, how sweet is vacation? Pretty good, you know, when you really actually have a day, some time off and you just push things aside. God invites us into a rest where we lay things down and we can rest. The second part of the one-minute pause is to restore my union with God. As we've, we mentioned earlier, we were made for union with God. And Jesus uses very powerful imagery of the, the vine, the branches, and other things to talk about our nature of communion and connection with him. And we're so familiar with this passage, the phrase, I am the vine, we miss the miraculous offer of a shared life. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, through whom all things were created, and who sustains all of this glorious world, this amazing universe, everything. He desires union with us. And we don't get it. We don't get it. We still have this picture of us over here and God over here and our sin in between, typically, is what we, we picture. And a big chasm, and God said, that's not the way it is. I am with you. And we'll deal with the sin, but I am with you. The incarnation, I come to you. And I want to be with you in the dealing of this. So in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, twice, Paul has to remind them, do you not know? It's a corrective word. Don't you know that you're God's temple and that, the, that God's spirit dwells within you? And then he says it again in another passage. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, that you're not your own. Union means that your very being is made to be saturated with the being of God, for him to live within us. The substance of our life, our personality, our heart, our intellect, our physicality, all of our experiences, all of our time to be filled and saturated with the substance of God's life. And that's what he's asking. You don't have to be weird. 
We don't have to be you know, legalistic and harsh or hard. The creator, the benevolent creator of everything desires, as Chris was talking about earlier, uh, union, union with us, connection. He delights in us. You have to sit with that. He delights. You are not only loved, but you're lovable. That's a, that's a difference. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm loved and tolerated. I'm loved and put up with. No. No, the Father finds you lovable, desirable. He delights in you, and he desires to fill you. The world we live in constantly erodes this union. And maybe you think, you know, there was a time I had that union. I felt that union. I felt close to God. Well, what happens? Well, the world just erodes that. We just get, we get weighted down, and that, that union gets torn. That union gets broke. We live at a, a frantic pace with a tsunami of information. We have probably way too much screen time, and then we have the craziness of the world, and it takes a toll. As Bilbo Baggins said in The Fellowship of the Ring, he said, I fell all thin, sort of stretched like butter that's been scraped over too much bread. And we feel that sometimes. So we must intentionally seek restoration with God, union with God, healing of our union with God, reconnection. So in the pause... We first of all just give things over to the Lord. We sit with that for a few moments. And, and what you will have to do, it can't be just general, although that's where I start. Be specific to your life. What is it in your life you need to give over to the Lord? Some of you are feeling weight this morning. And it's a good indicator that's what you need to give over to the Lord. So be specific. Lord, I give you my kids. I love them so much, and I hope they're going to turn out well. You know, but sometimes I just don't know that I'm doing a good job. You know, so whatever specific in your life, you give that over to the Lord. And then secondly, after a few moments, Lord, restore my union with you. Heal my union with you is what I have prayed. Lord, give that union back. Reconnect us together. For I was made for union with you. Then finally, the third part of the one-minute pause is, Lord, fill me with more of you. Fill me with more of you. David prayed in Psalm 36, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. God is the fountain of life. God is the spark of life, the creator, the originator. He is the life source, and there is none apart from him. And so we come and say, Lord, restore my union, my connection with you, and Lord, fill me with more of you. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain, that the soul is but a hollow which God fills. And you could use the word vessel there. Maybe it makes more sense to us. The soul is a vessel which God fills. A vessel is something that can be quite beautiful and artistic because our souls are exquisite exquisite vessels created by God, designed to be saturated with him. So you picture a round basin, a curved basin, maybe at the top of an elegant fountain, overflowing with water, just spilling over on all sides and running down, unceasingly giving life. Isn't that the promise that the Lord is giving? 
Isn't that the invitation that he's giving to us today? Not our words, not my words, it's his words. As the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow down, will flow from within them. So this is a practice that's something we can do every day, several times a day. It can literally be done in a minute or five or 10 or whatever you want to spend with it. And it opens space in our souls to meet with God. So this morning, as we move into communion and we have prayer time after, I, I want to encourage you to, to practice this, to actually put it into practice, to do something with it. Don't just pin it down and say, okay, that was interesting. Put it into practice. Do it this week. I, I have faith that you will, that you'll say, you know what? Yeah, that's something I could use. So I'm going to practice the benevolent detachment, letting go and giving things to God. I'm going to practice praying for a restoration of my union with God. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. Because that is a prayer that the Lord delights in answering. So this morning, let's just prepare our hearts for the time when we come to the communion table and uh, use these moments of silence and quiet just to, to practice drawing close to God and inviting him in. Uh, we invite all, all of uh, that are here today, all believers, to come to the table. Uh, but before we do, we want to spend a few moments just with the Lord in, in, in quiet. So I'm going to ask you, just go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just spend a few moments in prayer. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, today we open our, our soul to you. We open up the doors, the windows of our soul, of our heart, of our life, of our innermost being. And we ask you, Lord, to come and to fill those parts of our life, to come and rush through those areas. Lord, we give to you everything that stills our joy. We give it to you, Jesus. We let go of it right now. The things that are burdening us, every one, every problem, everything, Lord, right now we just give it to you. We release it to you, Lord. We place it in your hands. We give it to you. There may be things that you need to give to him this morning, maybe regrets, failures, mistakes, sins, things that just rob joy from your life. You don't have to carry that. The Lord invites you to confess it to him and lay it down. Give it to him. He went to the cross, shed his blood for our forgiveness. Let go. Let go of the burdens and the weights. For just a moment, let go. Lord, restore our union with you. Heal our union where it's been torn or neglected or we've just drifted from it. Right now, Lord, would you begin to heal our connection with you. We were made for you. Jesus, restore our union. Holy Spirit, come. Come in this room. Come in our lives. Come and fill us. We ask to be filled. Ask the Lord. He delights in answering that prayer. Thank you, Lord, that in the quietness and the calmness of this moment, 
we can be filled with you. And a grand displacement begins to take place, the weights and heaviness of this world. You lift off. You begin to place your presence in, in a growing dimension throughout the areas of our life, manifesting your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness and goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control, your mercy, your grace. All the things we cannot do on our own, never could apart from you. We ask you to come and work within us. We thank you that the very act of communion is a reminder as we take the bread, as we take the juice. It's symbolic. It's to remind us of our, our union with you, our connection with you, that it goes beyond the physical of these symbols and it takes place spiritually in our soul. We thirst for you.